So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I hit record. I hit record. I did it. I, I did it too. Okay. Welcome to Feature Crepe. Colon. colon. Built-in microwave. Semicolon. Um, more complaining about poor design. Uh, more complaints about poor design. Yeah. I mean, package delivery. This is something I imagine a lot of us can relate to, especially in COVID times where it's like, I, you know, ordering yeah. stuff in is just the, the norm now. Um, yeah. Now you're not like all of us who were devotees of Amazon since 2005 when we lived on an island and it was the only way to get shit delivered. Right. Are right. Now, I like we're all under the cover of pop culture now because everybody has to like use the delivery service it's not just shit bags like me uh-huh. <laughs> this is why i make conscious efforts to like shop in my neighborhood though because i'm like oh i have so much penance to do right right like you need to make up for it a little bit and, and maybe buy a little more locally um yeah because like relying on a super we've talked about this relying on a super convenient supply chain because of its convenience and not because of other or not taking into consideration other variables and factors that contribute to the whole picture is really short-sighted and also leads to things like not being able to get eggs in a pandemic right right yes exactly um so okay so you were telling me about this and i thought yeah that sounds great let's actually do a podcast about it so what so it's a design thing it's me bitching about design i've got a lot of time on my hands right now to think about stuff which is great oh i just saw where a blue jay lives (laughs) i saw it land in a tree where its nest is now i know where a blue jay lives that's fun um well anyway like i was saying i've got time on my hands uh to think about things like this and just observe what's the stuff okay but let's get to the meat and potatoes of this particular issue which is right um, well, here's my observation. My my most recent observation is that I think that the uh, package lockboxes that people install outside of their homes in lieu of having a porch to drop porch packages on, whatever. Yeah. Uh, these these delivery boxes make a lot of sense because you put the package in the top if you're the delivery person. And just like a mailbox at the post office, you close the little flap and then the package falls down. And then the owner comes out later with a key and opens up the little door in the bottom and retrieves the package. And in the meantime, nobody knows whether there's a package in there or not. And therefore, no one is tempted to steal the package off of your doorstep if you don't have a porch. Right. Which right. is what leads you to the necessity of the package delivery box in the first place the reason i was thinking about this is because i was an idiot and i installed a weather strip on the bottom of my new screen door Uh that's not the idiot part the idiot part was that i placed it too low on the front of the door so it works really well to keep out drafts but it also impedes the door when you try to open it, it doesn't want to swing now because the rubber stopper like refuses to move and then the door sort of rolls over the stopper if you're 
pulling like Kong uh-huh. and like pulling with both hands and then the stopper kind of flips under the door. And so this is totally not how this is supposed to be used. <laughs> and right, we right. have to fix it. Uh-huh. And we haven't done that yet because it keeps slipping our mind because we never go in and out of the front porch shore. The effect that this has had is that Delivery people who may already be wary of placing boxes inside of my porch because of COVID are now also physically prevented from doing so in an easy way. And so the result is that I've had a number of packages left on my front steps as opposed to inside my porch. This is relevant only because uh, from inside the house, I can't see if I have packages out there then. And I can't tell if they've been delivered and I have to actually like open it up and go outside in the cold. And when I go to retrieve those packages, my porch door swings open, which means I just knock them all off the stairs and they tumble across my front yard. And then I have to like go pick them up. Uh And of course, if it's like snowing or something, which happens a lot here starting now, um, it would be much better if those packages were inside the house inside the porch door, whatever I get. And so what I was trying to figure out yesterday, because I've have all this time on my hands for thinking about things like this is, is there any like policy reason that for COVID or otherwise, they wouldn't want to put things in the porch because historically people have dropped stuff in the porch and that's great. And I think it's, the timing of me putting on the weather stripping coincides with the increase in the transmission of, covid and so i don't know if i just made it physically too much of a pain in the ass for them to fuck with the porch or if they're like ah don't open the airlock right right and so i was trying to figure out was there an airlock issue here like do i need to put a sign on the door that's like packages inside porch please or do i just need to move the weather strip or will all of that prove moot because they're not opening the porch door because of covid anyway and i Uh couldn't find anything about like COVID, and so I'm assuming it's my fault. But in the meantime, I got sidetracked into like, what are the alternative solutions to this seemingly intractable question? And so I looked at these drop boxes, which is really stupid because why would I put a drop box in my front yard next to my giant porch? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not planning on doing that. But before I even got like skin deep into the exterior package storage compartment. Yes thing i realized that like there's a a lot of them out there like there's different types that you can buy and all of them are fucking hideous like the whole you're gonna put them in the front of your house they're gonna look like uh an electrical utility box is basically like big black metal box that stands almost chin high i mean they're enormous they're yes they're black powder coated metal or they're like silver metal or they're like you know, whatever. They're metal. They're all metal because that makes them steel, impervious. Steel sheets bent into box right, shapes. Right, yes. And, yeah. But I'm like, holy shit. Are we ever missing out on an opportunity here to like dress some shit up and sell it for exorbitant prices? Uh-huh. Like, these have no... This is going to be an architectural element in your yard. Uh-huh. And it will look like none of the other architectural elements in your yard. I mean, this thing is like obtrusive. It's large. Uh-huh. They're right. big because what if you have multiple packages delivered? And the, you can depend, the, depending on the size of packages you anticipate, you can buy smaller or larger exterior storage compartments for these things. Right. So you, right. Could, you could hypothetically end up with like this thing, this enormous thing that kind of resembles like the grouped mailboxes at the start of a planned community. 
this actually you know, or like this this actually reminds me of um or like an apartment entryway i yeah like this reminds me of a similar problem i saw i observed with some mail delivery for my friend who she's lived in this house for a long time um mm-hmm. but she's a renter and the new landlords decided that they were going to make a more secure gate on the porch front entryway. And it's always just been open to the street before. It was just this like nice little like porch and they were like, we're going to put a gate in and all this stuff. And so they put this like big black wrought iron kind of fencing, um, you know, like six foot fencing and then a big iron gate. Uh, And, and it's been such a fiasco because you know, in order to be compliant, it has to have like a lockbox where a fireman can get a key to the gate from, and then, um, and then the mail person has to have a key to it. And I showed up one day, and the mail person looked at me, and she was like, "Uh, do you live here?" And I was like, "No." Um, but she's like, "Oh, well, I left their mail on the outside because I can't get in because the key broke off in the um in the slot." And so, like, I don't know what she was doing, but it was like whatever key she had had broken off in the in the door handle that she had access to. And the whole uh, thing with the mail person, like the way the mail staff access it is like they have a key to a box that has the key in it. So their whole thing is fucked up. It's like, oh, now you stick a key in here. You unlock it. Now you get this other key. You unlock this and you put the key back in the thing and you lock it. And she's like, yeah, it just broke off in there. Um and I looked at it and I was like, God. yeah, that's, and then the funny thing is like they installed the gate wrong. So you can just reach through the bars and turn the handle on the other side and open it and go in. And Holy so shit. I was like, that's what I did. She's like, oh, that's funny. And I was like, I'm like, I'll just take it in. Don't worry about it. And she like went on her, on her way. But, um, and so then recently I was over there. And so to solve that problem, they put like a, a really fine mesh steel screen around that area so it's harder to reach through but i'm thus drawing attention to the fact that it could be reached yes which is funny because i my arms are long enough that i can just reach (laughs) over the gate i can just reach over the gate and turn the handle um and so it's like and the whole thing about it is absurd because it's like it's so true like if you wanted to go in there it's so trivial like i understand why it's there it's supposed to be um you know, she has a lot of just people walking by her house. And so it's just kind of a deterrent. And I'm like, I think it would be enough of a deterrent just to have an unlocked gate. Like, yeah. it's just it's just enough to just say, hey, if you're in here, we don't want you in here. This isn't right. an open invitation. If you come in, you're, you know, you're trespassing. And so yeah. that's all you need, like to have a locked gate. But whatever. Anyway, I mean, I know legally there's probably like some rules around it needing to be locked versus unlocked. And but it's just like it's also just kind of a nightmare because it's like your your egress route is now entirely impeded by this massive steel gate. You have to navigate. Why did they install the gate in the first place? What was the motive? I don't know. I asked her. She's like, I don't know. She's like, they're they're nuts. So. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um parcel delivery boxes i'm just thinking about how many things went wrong in that scenario it was just hilarious it was like and for the longest time after they um after the key broke off they just tied the gate open because they they were like (laughs) the landlords did this like they were like well 
I guess we have to tie it open because we can't have the mail not be delivered because all the all the tenants are complaining because it's not it's like an old house that's been converted into like four apartments. Yeah, it's a really cool house. You've been in it, actually. Yes. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I have like a very clear picture in my mind of what I think this debacle actually looks like in real life. Yeah, it's like um, it's like there are these it's there's these like two or three steps that go up to like a foot high sort of foundation that the house is on. And then that Mm -hmm. part makes this like nice little porch area um, that goes into this like there's like a big nice front door. and so they've fenced off all around that, um, but up along the pa- platform. So the steps are actually yeah. outside of the gate. And then you walk up the steps to get to the gate. Um, mm-hmm. The like two steps or whatever. Anyway, it's just, it. it's funny. Um, I imagine like their next move is just going to be to buy a mailbox system like you see outside of apartments that have yeah. like the parcel delivery containers and the, all of this. And um. And it just right. seems like, anyway. and they're hideous, all they of them. Hideous. Like yeah. for the amount, uh, you know, if you were matching the necessity for their use yeah. with, like, their ubiquity, like you think about all of these hideous, boring, like, not only are they not inventive, they don't add anything to the experience of the environment. They kind of suck energy out of it. Like they're just these good time fun happy suck holes uh-huh. and like and they 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 take up a lot of room and they have sharp edges like i don't know uh, would it really for how often we have to use them would it kill us to have some that weren't a negative experience to look at right <laughs> and I-, I just associate them with like cheap apartments that i hated living in yeah like there's no like positive memory or like positive association with these super industrial giant like the the texture of them the physical experience of them like if you bang into them just a little bit it's gonna hurt right this hard cold steel object with with um with like HOA approved beige coloring or yeah. something. Yeah. Yep. Industrial like elementary school, public elementary school bathroom gray. I'm remembering this conversation I had. Um, so I lived in New Jersey for a while in a house, in a row house um, or in these like row homes. And so we had those out front, like, mm-hmm. like, so maybe every like five or six houses, there'd be one of those as like a right. block of those five or six houses. And, um, I remember uh, I this guy I worked with, I had made the comment that um, I felt like New Jersey had this kind of this car culture of like no one no one wanted to walk anywhere. It was just like everyone drove even like 10 feet. If you had to go 10 uh. feet somewhere, you like get in your car first and drive. And um, <laughs> at like I was younger, so I was a little more I, I just moved from Oregon. I was a little more judgy and like on my high horse and and maybe wasn't like factoring in the fact that when you live somewhere that gets as bitter cold as it does, um, there it becomes more it, it becomes more of a survival thing, right? Like you're much more likely mm-hmm. to be like, actually, I have to take my car because I'll die if I'm outside that long. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there were some bitter cold days. Uh, I don't think anything like where, um, you know, in Minneapolis, but, but pretty cold anyway. Um, yeah. I, so I had made this like offhand throwaway comment about, um, you know, New Jersey not having sidewalks and all of this crap. And, 
And this guy I worked with had just kind of taken it like as an affront and was like really like determined to um, kind of argue the point with me. And, and, and I probably deserved a little bit, but I remember this moment we were standing outside of my house. I don't remember why we were there, but um, like as he's kind of like debating this with me, we're standing in front of my row home that doesn't have public sidewalks anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't outside of the little development there's no sidewalks there's a little path in front of my house from like where you park and as we're yeah, yeah. standing there I'm like observing this thinking but there's no place to walk here like this proves my point and then my neighbor <laughs> comes out of her house in her like bathrobe and slippers and gets into her car and backs up the car and drives it like 10 feet like three parking spots over to the mailbox parks like in front of the mailbox like gets out of the car goes to the mailbox opens up her mailbox and pulls out like you know the handful of junk mail gets back in the car and then drives back to her house and parks and gets out and goes in her house and this is like going on while this guy is like sitting here telling me how new jersey doesn't have this car culture and all this stuff and um oh my god and i'm just like i i was like (laughs) this couldn't be more perfect (laughs) that's one of those moments where you're like am i is anybody else seeing this right now please tell me somebody else is seeing this and i can like share this moment yeah yeah um man new jersey was just such a like it's so it's it's all of the worst things that everybody says it is but it's also kind of amazing like i i had (laughs) so i don't know if you like tomatoes but i had i had and also grew some of the very best tomatoes i've ever had in new jersey um like it just accounts for that in our backyard i just the right soil for it i don't know um wow you know they uh they have a really amazing gardens and like public gardens and um there's like all along the the delaware river gap is just like a beautiful bit of country um the the pine barrens are amazing anyway Mm. um I like I can't speak highly enough of New Jersey and also lowly and like it's it's just all of the things you know what I mean um, yeah uh, <laughs> real love hate relationship yeah yeah I classic uh, I have um like some of my favorite people uh either live in or are from New Jersey like it's just you know um and also some of the worst like I always kind of described I've always thought of like people from New Jersey are the kind of people who like, let's say you're like driving along and um, or you're walking along the street and a mm-hmm. car like screeches to a halt and someone jumps out and stabs you like that person was probably from New Jersey. But then so let's say, Jersey. but let's say another person, another car screech, screeches to a halt and somebody jumps out and helps you after you've been stabbed. That person would also be from New Jersey. Like they're that like, <laughs> it's that like dichotomy of like both like someone who's like, I've got a grudge. Like I fuck this like dialogue. I'm coming over here and kicking your ass. And also like, fuck that. Like this is how to behave. We help people out and like they'd come over and they would just be like, you know, get your shit together like let me help you get to the hospital like stop bleeding you're fine like we're gonna sort this out um you know and be very like like really great like members of society and also like the worst you know um i don't know i i know that's kind of it's it's also just all fiction right all the greatest people in new jersey have the opportunity to demonstrate their greatness on a regular basis because of all of the worst people in new jersey right right um 
anyway uh if you've never been to new jersey i definitely think it's worth a visit um i don't know that i would recommend living there um you know i mean uh, that's that's a that's a whole different discussion so anyway uh yeah so parcel delivery delivery box redesign um I, they're just so bad they're so they're bad <laughs> what did i say oh i they when i was looking at them i they just remind me of brutalist architecture i wonder like i i mean this is speculation but i imagine they kind of came out of um they come from a time when uh like craftsman kind of architecture was already done um it, they come from an industrial time they come after people didn't probably have that level of like for one thing we didn't have the sort of like delivery culture that we do now um yeah you also probably didn't have i mean this is again speculation i just imagining like i you also just didn't have the kind of um the the widespread product distribution so like once somebody comes up with a lockbox they're just like we're going to sell these to everybody i'm sure there were um in cities there were apartments that had kind of locked mailboxes of kinds um well you know this to be true like if you've gone to an older city and you see the way that their mailboxes work it's much more like or a perfect example is like an an older um uh older post office where you get a post office Mm -hmm. box Mm-hmm. like it's the same kind of concept but those post office boxes are adorable the old yeah. ones with the little window and the like the yeah. filigree and the like like yes, everything's like it's you, yeah you're proving my point like yeah. it's not that much harder to make it look good and like make it add to the experience of the environment that you're forcing people to interact with right right and so that is um in my mind that's kind of maybe one of the problems right it's like we we, like nowadays it's just like the problem with everything like a lot of things don't they forego the aesthetics of things the worst though the worst thing that i find is that um these days if something tries to have an aesthetic it's awful is that like a postmodernist thing or like what is that about i I don't know like the way that um products like when we did that episode about um what do we call it it wasn't bogus company names but like silly company names on amazon yes yeah like how it's like this is drop shipping like there's no way that this is that anyone actually named a company after this yeah and so if you look at products like pens and things that are like marketed to um like conferences like we like when we talked about in the conference quit it episode um i think about how you and I have found a pen that we really like and it it's a very pen pen like it's yeah. a, you know it's a cylinder a cylinder it's a th- slim cylinder that has a reservoir for ink and a nib at the front and a cap and yep. it's, it's not plain. it's not over it's not overly designed it's not like embellished in weird ways um and this is exactly the kind of thing that I find um that is is maybe the same kind of problem. So like when I looked at when we when we were going to conferences a little bit, um, and you see the pens that they're giving out and how they are over over designed and over complicated with things that are useless other than to potentially appeal to, you know, to try to get people to want to buy them. Um 
or yeah know. it's like a pen designed to convey marketing rather than be a pen yeah and so that's where i feel like a lot of the sort of design aesthetics around like consumer goods are um oftentimes it's like it, it's the same kind of idea of like fake pockets on women's clothing it's mm. like it's there to convey the idea of something it's there like the look is there um but the look doesn't make me feel good. Like, whereas I look at yeah. like, you know, to kind of go back to um, like post office boxes, it's like that look of it is nice. Like it's like it draws the eye to the piece. Like, you know, the name, like the number plate is like a little bit embellished around it. And so it draws the eye to it and it, you know, and it looks nice and it's sort of pleasing. And um, it looks like somebody gave a fuck when they made this thing. Whereas now I think when you, when you kind of stamp that filigree onto a thing in a like industrial way, you know, it doesn't, it it doesn't feel good or look good because no one gave a fuck when they made it, I guess. Right. I don't know. There, well, I think it also sort of exposes the fact that a lot of things are not. So when I design something, I think in multiple dimensions, like I'm not solving for one single issue. I have to think about, what I'm solving for in multiple dimensions. And then I reiterate on all of those before I get to a final design. Right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. this is a multi-level thinking here um, because that's how you finish the job. When you're designing for only one variable and this is like more and more prevalent. I mean, we're, I feel like we're approaching the event horizon of the black hole of designing for only one thing in in america most of what we design for is the lowest cost right right so right. it's like i have a problem i need to make a product to solve this problem but the product i'm going to end up making will be some version of the product i maybe started with but stripped down to its most bare essentials and made out of the cheapest materials possible in the largest quantities possible to maximize on the economy of scale and like hopefully replaceable right i mean it's like we just go for the lowest common denominator in terms of things that are designed and so like the best the most gracious i'm feeling right now towards this whole like architectural security mailbox thing is like you were designing for imperviousness and you stopped there. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, Because they could probably be made out of cheaper materials. Like it, so I'm not even going to like chastise quite that far. But, you know, there's like so many other things that you run into, like shit that's like, well, I don't understand how this is supposed to be. Like it's not designed for durability because durability costs more and it requires you to build it better. So that, you know, costs money in terms of design time. Right. And like there's all these things that bump the price up. And so everything that's made to make a profit off of is guaranteed to be a shittier product than it has to be otherwise. Yeah, I think I, I'm just kind of like percolating in my mind is a segue into getting back to our designing dystopias. Um, yeah, I mean, this is very dystopian to me because yeah, it's like I just see it everywhere. It's it's sort of like um, that kind of like, you know, you had you had people feel this way about products they've been using for years and years. Like um, like, for instance, the microphones we use on this podcast Um we use these uh, Shure SM57s and mm -hmm. uh, we arrived at them because like to kind of go back and hearken to, you know, late night researching into um, 
flatware. <laughs> yeah. um, I I arrived at these microphones because I did a lot and lot like I you know stayed up late or I woke up in the middle of the night obsessed with like or wondering the question wondering like what is the right microphone for us and what does it look like and all these things and um you know and did a lot of research and and found these microphones are like perfect for what we want and um, totally and i uh but there is a lot of they're a very historically they're a historical microphone for one thing they're the microphone that um all presidents have used since the beginning of this microphone like this this microphone was designed and used um or it was basically like their big contract was like getting a contract with the government where they they couldn't i think they tried to give i i don't remember the history exactly i think they tried to give the microphones to the office of the president like just being like here like please by all means but because of the nature (laughs) of the government they're not allowed to and so it became this like contract negotiation where it was like okay We've settled on a price. You guys are going to give us some money. We're going to give you microphones. And so sure has been giving the microphones and they've used. And so the president um, of the U.S. has used sure SM57 microphones, um, typically two of them uh, for time immemorial, like basically since they've been they've been created in the 60s, I think, or maybe even the 50s. Um, anyway, so uh, the the my point being is that there are people who swear that the old u.s microphones before a certain date are the only good ones and any ones that have been made after that date are garbage and then there are other people who are like nope they're fine the new ones are Mm -hmm. fine there's all this debate about like at some point they were made in mexico now they're made in the u.s again or maybe they've moved overseas to china i forget um but my point being is that that uh there is this um this thing where it's like as our country has moved or as, as sort of the world has moved forward into the future and manufacturing processes have gotten cheaper or there's more incentive to cheapen the products, there is that problem where it's like a little bit of the, um, I hate kind of using this word, but I think it conveys what I mean, which is there's like a kind of loss of soul in the product, right? Like these, you know, mm. these products had a little bit more nuance, but I think that there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides. Like I think there's um, as manufacturing processes get more exact, the robotic made products are way better than any, you know, than any human on an assembly line. Um, And the argument for handmade is much more nuanced. Now I think it's much more in the realm of like what we're really talking about is a, someone who's put thought and consideration and artistic feeling into um you know into the design of it and the creation of it and yeah the the, this, me- the method of creation is a separate issue i think i think let me see if i can succinctly state what i'm thinking right now yes the problem that you and i seem to have with a lot of things is that those things are designed to be made uh or to be used by humans but they are not designed for humans they're designed for money's sake or for some other consideration besides the fact that humanity is to interact with it and so the object itself should be infused accordingly with humanity uh and this bleeds over to me into like the discussion about why hostile architecture is so fucking pointless Yes. And insane. Right. Um, 
God, it's just so illogical and there's so much effort and time and money spent on executing it. But uh, I think also like people who are close to a problem are the people best positioned to understand and make suggestions to solve the problem. And so like if you have a designer who's designing a thing to solve a problem that that designer is not close to, they by definition are not going to design something as well as somebody who's close to the problem and possibly has to encounter the problem repeatedly and is tired of dealing with the problem themselves. Right. Right. And that's um yeah, so I think we could kind of add that to our list of like elements of designing a dystopia where um the question is, is that a symptom of a of a well designed dystopia that those that those properties inherently fall out, which is that you've separated your designers from being close to the problem being solved? I think the designers in a dystopia should be in like a black box of yes. misunderstanding. Of Just misunderstanding. avoid yes. where they have no experience of the problem, not secondhand, not reading it right, in a book, right. not firsthand, like just no connection to the thing they're designing for at all. Like, like you'd want to have like, say like men designing women product, like products for women, um, or more specifically, like <laughs> men designing like feminine hygiene products and like, you know, brassieres yes. and things like that. Shit, shit that's like solving a problem that wasn't a problem, except the man thinks that it's a problem, like that <laughs> right. kind of thing, right? <laughs> things that things that aren't really a problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I got this solution. Uh-huh. Thanks. Nobody asked. <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> Nobody asked you for that. Uh, here's a thing. Nobody needs. Right. Um. Yeah. So that's also like in my dystopia, the next level, the the next reiteration upon the theme is something designed by people with no connection to the problem that the design attempts to solve. And then that design becoming incorporated into some mandate by the state and everyone being forced <laughs> to use it at the yes. penalty of the bullet in a gun uh-huh yeah which is how i feel about a lot of things right now most of the time pretty much my whole life uh-huh yeah <laughs> like i think i i was on this kick earlier where i was like god damn it like this is just proof that if you're original or if you make something beautiful or artistic or something that stands yes. out you will be Punished like, and at destroyed. best punished and at uh, worst destroyed um, and like how dystopian that is and uh, uh-huh. like yeah the the one thing man laboring in obscurity is some people's worst nightmare but it's like my greatest fantasy just like leave me alone to do my thing uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah it's always uh it makes me sad but i completely understand the mechanism of how this happens but it makes me sad to see when people who really love their art have their art made famous and then their art no longer belongs to them and it wasn't necessarily what they were asking for in the first right place. right and it's yes like it's just your art becomes a tool of either capitalism or the state like i wrote this one folk song and now it's selling apple itunes and right you know, like, yes <laughs> and apple's like we're gonna take your music or we're gonna kill you and you're like you can take my music thanks yep yep it's like, oh, God. Yeah, if you do anything great, you're either an enemy of the state or... Or some... I don't I, know what. I mean, that's where... I think that's where, like, the corporate 
world gets a little funny now that it's like you have these corporate entities that are more powerful than many nation states. Yep. It's going to it's getting real weird. Yeah. I mean, predictably, like there's all kinds of people who talked about this before. This is not like a yes, mysterious this is a, unfolding this is of some new obscure events. Yeah. It's so entirely predictable. Yeah. But uh, it's how that actually plays out within the, the details of people's lives like in the in the future corporations dot 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 becomes in the future um like google amazon yeah microsoft yep and well evidently now spacex because they're, they're just gonna have first mover advantage with however they want to shape the fucking future oh, God, like right i'm so, i'm so excited and also like oh shit uh-huh. about like the whole thing because it's like yay mars also fuck it's going to be unlivable from a social perspective. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, it's going to be this like this dystopian nightmare. Uh no question. Um Yeah, like instead of a company town, it's a company planet. Yeah, that's just it's just a nightmare. Um Yeah. It's oh my god, it's going to be so great and so terrible. Yeah. Immunitize the Eschaton net. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because that's kind of the whole point of um as far as I can tell, the way that uh, Elon Musk has vocalized his desire to go to Mars is to avoid the eschaton, right? To avoid the end, of, yes. uh, yeah. the end of humanity by basically spreading that shit everywhere and some of it will survive. Right. And for me, this raises like huge metaphysical questions of like, what is the value of human life? And is it even worth making attempts to continue it into, to make us a multi-species or multi-planetary species. Like, right. I mean, some, my initial reaction is like, well, of course you have to do that. Like, because it's the same thing when like I set foot on your sailboat for the first time. I was like, well, obviously we're sailing across the ocean next, right? Right. Like, it's just, yes. it's so compelling to me and like so intrepid. And I think that pushing limits and exceeding boundaries and going farther every time is like, for good or ill, I don't really have an ethical stance on this, I don't think, is just something that's intrinsic to the human experience, right? Yes. Like, yeah. to say, like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't because of this or that or the other thing seems to be like, well, stop being human then. Right. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so, like, this, this, the constant push of boundaries and limits and crossing the line at all times seems to simply be categorically included in humanity in humanity and so to remove it i think makes me start to spiral off into considerations of like if you could deselect certain behaviors or drives or things like that which hypothetically you could because it's all coded in genetics then eventually you would end up with something that is not the same thing as human right yeah i think um if you take enough away or add enough new things, you're changing the branch of evolution that you're forking off onto. Yeah, you're also... Which is fu- I'm not making a judge a value judgment about that either. I think transhumanism no, I mean, is like really yeah. intriguing. And I, I haven't thought deeply enough about it to take a position, oddly. But I, I'm I, getting there. I'm reading about other stuff uh, right now. One of my positions on transhumanism, um, or positions, it's not like I... I something that I've speculated about um, sure. is that uh, we're already th- we've already been there in the sense that yes. transhumanism implies that um, being human is a, like a monolithic experience. 
Um, right. Yes, absolutely. And it's every single person who's human has a slightly different version of human. Yeah. And, and yeah, like so, to the yeah. point where and especially um, there's more obvious things like, you know, having like phenotypical expression and like whether your hair is, you know, a different color or a different shade or, you know, the the size of your elbow versus the size of your knee, that ratio versus mine or other things. Mm-hmm. like. I mean, that. well, ours are exactly the same. Uh, obviously. Um, yeah. But then there's more subtle things like th- how your brain chemistry behaves and how that affects the way that your mind works. And um, we already know that, uh, or it's it's you know being explored the concept of um, what language you learn and you use to kind of create your existence inside of yourself, right? So like we speak English and that's our like primary language and people who speak multiple languages oftentimes are open to uh, have are open to um, different cultures and different ideas and ways of expressing those ideas. And the more ways you have of expressing those ideas, the more nuanced you can be in the sense of like how your mind works and how you live in it and how you perceive your existence of being um, a human being, which is, you know, like we've, you know, we've talked about before, but being tied to like both your physical existence, where you grew up, how you grew up, what culture you live in, like all of those things influence your perception of the world that is all filtered mm-hmm. through this gray matter that we call our brain. And, um, and so I think that the differences there are much larger than is immediately apparent because of the nature of how language works. Um, yeah. Like, and how we, uh, and I think most people can kind of understand this idea if you, or the idea that I'm trying to get across, which is that as you get closer to somebody and you spend more time with them and you reach some period where you feel like you're just having a lot of disagreements because, um, because you're actually getting down to the nitty gritty where it's like you start to realize that what you think of as something is not at all how they think of it. Oh, that's super funny. Well, not always super funny. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes it, it's <laughs> but, great when you're with the right person. Like you and I, it's like, I think we reach those moments a lot, but it's also we have so little stake in like each other's lives in the sense that it's like the only if, yeah, reason. If we disagree, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it has very little bearing. And also, but it's nice because it's like, I think we always have the same goal, which is like, we like what comes out of this. So we're both mm-hmm. like, okay, great. Like you'd be an asshole for a bit. Let's see how it goes now what are you doing that's cool like it's not like i don't have some like resource that i'm like desperate for from you right like it's like you can't um i don't know i I think we've i I don't know how to yeah but we don't have there's we don't have anything transactional right there's nothing yeah there's nothing really transactional so it's like i can't really i I, you know your ability to like trash my life like who you are and how you behave (laughs) has no like um is really open. Like I, I can provide like a very open space for you as you do for me. So it's like you can be whoever you want and it has no consequence for me in the law, lo- in the sense of like me being like, well, tomorrow I'm not going to be able to eat or sleep or like live my life right. because yeah. Meg yeah. decided to say this thing or whatever, whatever, like, you know, when you're in a relationship, it's like suddenly you realize like how, like how the little shit can really piss you off because it's, it's, in your mind this indicator that then they're going to do this and then my life's going to suck again because fuck you like it also yeah you can also end up with a cumulative effect too where it's like 
if you're overexposed to even a small inconvenience or unpleasantry in aggregate it becomes very weighty in some yes right right yeah form resentments around it because it's this thing that you have to like fucking carry (laughs) yes right yes exactly (laughs) um Anyway, uh, so to get back to the trans, my idea about transhumanism or my thoughts about how um, the, the the idea that like that you and I are so similar in our experiences that um, that it's like we're exchangeable, like we, we can easily be mm-hmm. like you're human, like so Meg or Ned, either one doesn't matter. Um, right. And then and then that makes me think about like how transhumanism it's like for me transhumanism is like it's not that radical for someone to have like um replace a limb or some like physical extremity is like augmented somehow where it gets weird is when um and i don't mean weird in like a bad way i just mean where it gets strange and different and where i think people kind of like wonder more about transhumanism is the idea it's like when you've when you start to augment your perception heavily your ability to perceive perceive the world and your ability to um interpret and like experience that and and then when you're like modulating your own motivations and your own like when you start to really modulate the way your mind works and how that feels that's where um it's harder to relate to, right? Like a big part of being human in a social way is to like be able to relate to each other, like see the frustration on someone else's face and then also feel that and understand like immediately like how they're feeling and what's going on with them and being able to infer all of that. And when you have, um, when you're at such a different mindset and if we're talking about like being able to say, augment your, your, um, your working memory with some kind of like digital device or being able to, do those things like we're already there we already our like you can if you've ever had an experience of like going to a math class where it's like you know you had a teacher who was just like calculators are the worst like in my day we could do like long form you know uh long form division like really quickly in our heads or like all these other things and um you know and now people can barely add two numbers together and it's like yeah that's kind of the like an example of this like externalizing of like a a process right into like a digital device and so yes um you know we already have things like you know i don't remember people's phone numbers anymore the way i used to um oh my gosh i still remember like so many phone numbers from back in the day i I mean i remember phone numbers from back in the day when i needed to commit them to memory but like yeah like if if you ask me what your phone number is i'd be like i don't know i don't remember the area code um i can't remember yours i know damon's off the top of my head yeah and that's probably good um for lots of reasons but um anyway i was in a car accident one time and i couldn't remember our phone number like it was the phone number that had been the phone number our entire lives as kids and then it just was as gone like a young adult it was just poof because huh. i got like whacked in the head really hard oh, i was God. like i can't i don't know it's in there somewhere uh-huh. but i can't find it <laughs> it's crazy yeah i've had um I find my memory works like that a little bit sometimes, even without being whacked in the head, where if you're like, (laughs) 
like something very traumatic happens or like a very like adrenaline adrenaline like related thing it's like i lose access to certain kinds of like long-term memory that um from a survival point of view probably wasn't that useful but yes but in reality very useful it's just that like we didn't evolve in a time where it's like you need to remember this specific string of digits in order to survive it's like no you need to be able to run fast even if you have a broken leg because here's a bunch of adrenaline now go right <laughs> um right. yeah full, so full bore linear panic right right so uh anyway um yeah the the transhumanism thing um uh, but i think it's i think it's good like i i think we're kind of at a point where um we're going to start learning more and more about the way the mind works and what it means to be intelligent or to be to be aware like self-awareness like i already think that there's a certain level of um i mean we already know there's just not a good understanding of that but the yeah. big one of the biggest problems in artificial intelligence is this issue of like well what does it mean to be intelligent yeah it's that's a big one um i, I also like, think about yeah go ahead. go ahead i was gonna say it's a philosophical question like it's yeah you know front and center of like you know what does philosophy say about this and why hasn't it said something more i think it's out there i just again this is like one of those things where i'm like stuck in another category of like philosophy right now and so jumping over to like this one i haven't quite gotten around to yet but there's this and then the books that we need to read or you've read them and i need to read them about like biological reiteration and like because something i think i'm like co-located with all this stuff but i haven't yeah. i don't understand how they relate to each other yet and so i'm seeing all of these things uh-huh. but i'm not i haven't put it all together yet so i have to get there but i think when i think about <clears throat> When I, I think about how often I hear people misunderstand the process of evolution and for that reason, I wonder how much of what is in the discourse right now about transhumanism or, you know, like the complaints about gene editing and things like that, how many of those, gene editing maybe not so much, how many of those misunderstand the very basics of what we're even talking about? Yes, right. Um, because I think so. You, we've said this before on the podcast, but you and I have both studied biology. You actually have a degree in it. I stopped before I before I earned a degree. Before in you it. went off the deep end. Before I went off the deep end, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I've done some genetic engineering, and so I understand the process from like a a much a much closer perspective than people do it's not abstract for me i get how it works right right. um and so i when i hear people talk about evolution or how how people evolve from something else or whatever i just i'm like i think you guys are missing something key like quintessential here about Mm -hmm. right about how this unfolds and and how how we're conceptualizing our lo- co-location within this giant system? I don't know. I it seems wrong. Like most things, I have complaints about this. Uh-huh. Um, but I so I'm just wondering if when I start reading, I'm glad I started thinking about this now because if if and when I get around to reading whatever philosophical texts are out there, and even like the 
a lot of the science that backs up things like genetics and um, like quantum physics and things like that, you can understand from a hard science or mathematical perspective, but it also helps to be able to think about it philosophically. And so I suspect that at some point I'll cross over into, you know, like more technical stuff that relates to this, the philosophical concepts that are at work here, because I'm going to need to be sure that the people who I'm reading that have opinions about this stuff actually understand it from a legitimate perspective. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's, um, that can be hard to, I, sometimes I wish there was like a, a category of literature or, or a category of writing that was, um, sort of halfway between, uh, research papers and, uh, popular like pop sci right? Like mm-hmm. pop, popular yeah. science. Okay. So maybe this is our, maybe we're going to hit our stride here, Ned. <laughs> right. Um, where it's like, where it's more about like, it's not that people don't write this way. Like this does exist. People, people all the time, write. So for instance, like um, uh, magazines and news outlets that are reporting on science are oftentimes attempting to interpret what is written in a research paper. Right. So um, that's that, you know, you could already kind of like science journalism is exactly what I'm talking about. But the problem with science journalism is the same problem with a lot of like journalism, which is that they often are pushed to um, sensationalize things because that's how Mm -hmm. they that's how they can acquire funding. Um, So uh, but yeah, that that kind of like, you know, somewhere like somewhere kind of like what. what you would expect where it's like a synthesis of some bodies of work that's written, but then also subjected to um, that sort of scientific method of like peer review mm-hmm. where a book is not just written like, you know, Harari writing is like garbage, like sensational, like sort of, um, you know, his, his kind of like his, his sort of like pervy speculation into the nature of humanity. Like it's, yes. you know, like, well oh, wouldn't said. it be amazing? Well like said. if we could just like sleep with other species, like wouldn't that be titillating? And it's like, uh, I feel like you've got a, <laughs> we took a real turn here in the first chapter, even <laughs> what's going on here. Um, Wait a minute. Like, <laughs> is this book written under a pseudonym? Uh huh. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah. So setting that aside, like not that, right. But yeah. more like, um, you know, the same people who write uh, research articles being like, okay, like, what is this, um, you know, some kind of, and they, they do kind of exist. So oftentimes there's uh, like review articles that collate um, data and do like a review of like a bunch of research on a particular topic. And maybe mm-hmm. just more of that needs to be done. And more of that needs to be more, um, more presented, I guess. Like there are science communicators. Um, so, uh Diana Cohen, I think her name is, but she she goes by Physics Girl on YouTube. And, right, yeah. Um, or like famously Bill Nye. Is Bill Nye, yeah. Famously Bill Nye. Or Carl um, Sagan. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, you know, but there are other more modern, younger people who are doing this. Like, um, yes. There's uh, also, um, there's a show or a channel called The Brain Scoop on um on does it have YouTube. like an ice cream scoop with a brain in the scoop part uh 
no i mean it just says the brain scoop on the thing but um oh well that would be a good logo it would be it would be a good logo um but uh the brain scoop is um this this woman uh emily grassley is a she works in a like natural history museum and i don't know her particular qualifications but she is very well qualified and she's really fantastic and she talks all about like natural history and so there are there are people who are doing this communication and i just wish that it was better i think i just wish it was better collated and cataloged and um and presented if that makes sense as like as a whole genre of writing right uh, yeah so somebody needs to undertake that as the endeavor not yeah. to, not to do the research and not to like not to whatever not to well this is just, what yeah like this is what i thought um the website science ways was going to be um okay. it was the idea was to like basically help with that connection between um you know the public and mm -hmm. people who are doing research like it was supposed to be the idea was to be promoting uh understanding of science and scientific method um because it betters all of us and it literally drives our our society it is the reason that we can live the way that we do um right so for better or for worse and that's not like i a lot of times people are like well what about you know and then they start talking about like the evils of like western medicine and you know and i'm like you mean you mean capitalism like your thing that you're complaining about is capitalism right um, and or at least the way that it's practiced like i don't think i i feel the way i feel the same way about capitalism as i do about libertarianism which is to say that on the tin i don't necessarily disagree with it like libertarianism it's like i i strongly believe that the more personal freedoms we can have for more people the better like absolutely I think that's like a big, great, grand goal of like, you know, at least in my mind, like the right direction for designing a utopia, right? Is that right. everyone has the maximum amount of personal freedoms that they can possibly have. Um, but everybody, right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so capitalism is the same kind of idea. Like on the tin, it's like, yeah, I agree that, um, I think that people should not be so regulated that they, they don't have the opportunity to um, like grow their own business or do those things. Um, and I also think the idea of like reinvesting capital into your society is a great idea. That's not how we practice it though. Like how we practice it is like, you know, take the money from the poor and pile it in, like concentrate wealth and power. That's it's what's going on. It's an extractive process. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what we do is we concentrate wealth and power. That's how it works. Like it's self-concentrating. Right. Like the more you have it, the easier it is to get more of it. Um, right. And the less you have of it, the harder it is to get any of it. Um, right. And that's not, that's not what capitalism says on the tin. That doesn't mean that anyway. So my point being is like, there's a lot of like, <laughs> when you kind of make arguments for science, a lot of times people are like, yeah, but, you know, Western science, blah, 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 or, you know, Western blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I'm not saying that we're doing a good job of it, but what, like, there's nothing better. Mm -hmm. Like the scientific method will always be itself, it, like, like anything that approaches it is just becomes a scientific method because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, it's not, you can't like. It's not a, you know, you can call it whatever you want. It's a pursuit of the truth in a in a method that is self-regulating so that it's self-validating. 
If you're not self-validating the truth, then you're just making shit up. Well, this actually makes me think of a problem I was just reading about, which is the problem of reducibility or reproducibility and yeah. the fact that like people publish what are supposed to be peer reviewed, you know, research papers and stuff. But then nobody ever bothers to go and see if those results can be reproduced and therefore validate the thing that. Yeah. Was and that tested. was another that was a function that I was thinking would be really great in the Science Ways website was the idea mm-hmm. that you would both interpret um, you know, science that's going on, modern science, like various experiments that are happening, like, um, and then you would try to uh, highlight and isolate uh, parts of the experiment that could be reproduced at home, like in a reasonable way. And yes. so, you know, it's like, okay, not everyone has an electron microscope, fine. But, um, you know, maybe what we can do is validate some of the other methods. Like maybe they're, you know, looking at samples in the electron scanning microscope and there's sample prep procedures. And maybe some of those sample prep procedures we could validate at home. You know, it's like, oh, are you looking at the DNA of a strawberry? Like, okay, um, well, maybe there's some steps we can do to talk, like to look at the extraction methods that are being used and Mm -hmm. um, like reproduce some portion of it. And that's, I think that's something that is both educational and could be fun. And in the right context, we might be able to even leverage it in a way that um, is rewarding to people, maybe not monetarily, but ideally, you know, like in the world of advertising, maybe there's even a way to, um, you know, leverage the advertising in a way that it's like people are being rewarded for participating um, yeah, in meaningful ways. And again, that comes back to the problem of capitalism where it's like, ideally, in a capitalist society where that money is being reinvested, it's like those people who are doing good work would be compensated financially or in a way that they can then expend that capital for themselves. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, back to, uh, uh, yeah, the reproducibility thing. I think another argument that I've heard is like, like for instance, like some kind of paranormal thing. Like let's say that, um, you know, someone films a ghost and as best you can tell, they have pretty strong evidence for it. Like whatever, you know, whatever weird paranormal thing happened. Right. Um, you know, so even if, so even if it were true, if it's not repeatable, it's kind of garbage because the point of like learning about these things is to understand how our world works. And if our world doesn't actually work that way, then it's not, it's useless. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm on shaky ground here because the problem is, is it's like, okay, well, if it were provable, then it would be repeatable, right? Like it's part of the problem is like, if you can't repeat that's, it, yeah, it's probably what, not real in the first place. That's, that's, that's the close, I mean, falsifiability. Yeah. Like, yeah. Falsifiability. Uh, right. That's the main we thing. We both have to, falsifiability is like the process of figuring out and testing against something to see like, you know, okay, so here's a metaphor you find a weird thing on the ground and you poke it with a stick and then you call me over and you're like, hey, I poked this thing with this stick and here's what I think happened. Can you poke it with a stick and see if you think that also happens? And then we both start poking with the stick and we're like, yep, seems like we're both experiencing the same stick poking thing here. And right, thus we right. can agree that there is a thing. It's what we think it is or we share some idea of what it is. And from that, you form a shared reality. Yeah. This is like this is the bricks that make up the world of our understanding. Like this is this is it. This is how you do it. You you poke at something and you ask other people to poke at it too 
and see what happens when they do it. And then you all come together. And where it gets really interesting is if there's some discrepancy, because then you need somebody else again to poke it. Yes. And the things that it's like, we all know some things here, but none of us can agree on what the thing is. And that's where like the great mysteries and like riddles and science come from. And that's where all the meat and potatoes is. That's where all the good stuff happens. It like, at the weird spots and the unexplainable spots, but how you get there is by ruling out the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You really, and that's, yeah, it's, um, and I think it's just such a tragedy that that has become, um, so, so like, um, yeah, you don't like pick dismissed. out a thing and, yeah, yeah, it's totally dismissed. It's not valued because we have overemphasized a value on having answers and having specific answers and having uh, an easily producible answer for right. everything and coming taking a position on everything and coming down on a side on everything. And it's not that's not actually that I, doesn't actually reflect. I speaking how of shit works. speaking of like verifiable or like uh, uh, falsifiable. Um, I've I've had this like theory for a while or this hypothesis that um one of the issues that we live with at least in the US um is that we have we have so many people and the internet is so such a mutable media, right? You can mm -hmm. say whatever you want on the internet, you can represent things any way you want. There's really no um it it's like having a sandbox that just has like no boundaries. And so um we live in this world where it's like things are much harder to falsify. Yeah. Like your perception of it because it doesn't matter anymore. Like, and so what happens is that you can get um, people who want the world to be a certain way and then they can continue to reinforce that and create that illusion. And it can be so, it's so strong now because yeah. of the internet, because of the ability to, um, you know, I would say probably for most people, like a good 50 to 80% of their waking daylight eyeball time is spent looking at something that is entirely an illusion. Yes. You're not, you know, most people aren't staring out at the hard concrete outside or the like the, you know, most of the day, most of us work in an environment where we're staring at a hard illusion, like a, a really tangible illusion that lives in front of us. And so the idea that... um that can't completely manipulate your thinking about how the way the world works is bogus. It absolutely must. I yeah, can't think it does of any way to like, you know, it totally does it. It, I guess what, what makes me, what it makes me wonder is when, what is the friction between the world that you think that you live in and the world that you actually live in? And like the, one of the problems that I see with it, and I think we talked about this a little while ago, is like people live in this meticulously constructed fake world um, on the internet and then go out into the real world and perform actions that are the result of the thinking done in the fake world. Right. And right. like, which could be uh, completely innocuous and pointless because it becomes absurdist and dysfunctional sure. immediately. Right. Or some guy can show up to a pizza place and like start waving a gun around trying to rescue children as part of a like child sex ring that doesn't right. exist. Like, right. That doesn't exist because it was completely fabricated illusion. Right. Like it's just nuts. And so, I mean, I think 
there's got to be this is obviously a problem of ethics uh, for ethics because it's like how 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 do you ensure that what we've created doesn't end up causing massive harm to people i mean it's already too late for that but like the, right. I, that's not that's an unimportant question at this point because the cat's out of the bag how how do we address the fact that the thing that we have created that we have made completely ubiquitous and continue to push the limits of that ubiquity as well because we're turning things that have no necessity or business being wired to the internet into objects that are part of the hive mind and i don't fucking understand that i it is extremely upsetting to me that everybody has doorbells with cameras on them now yep um especially because the private companies that own those cameras are absolutely more than willing to turn over that footage and the live feeds to police enforcement agencies. Yep. Um, so now anybody who has one of those stupid doorbells is like a, basically a, a spy for the state. Unwittingly, you don't even know when they're going to use your doorbell right. to spy on your neighbors. Right. So fucked up. Yeah. So we're all part of that. You're participating in the surveillance state every time you jack something into the internet. Yep. Every smart device in your home, every listening device, every cell phone, every camera, everything that taps into the internet is now part of the the big network of things keeping track of everybody at all times. It's fucking crazy. And I have no idea how to solve that problem. I I don't know. I mean, this is this is kind of goes to the the nature of um this is a problem of governance, right? Like I, I think well, more right. and more about like governance and what that looks like. And, um, you know, there's so many ethical issues with governance, just so many ethical issues. Like the question of like, for instance, children. So, and this is something I think people can more <laughs> like, no, take, take the, take the relationship of a child. Like if you're in charge of a child, Think of it like this, like okay. um, if you have a child under your care and they are, um, you know, full of energy and running around and they want to run into the street and you first you use your words and say, don't run into the street, but they don't listen. And then eventually you go and you um, assault them by invading their personal space and picking them up. Right. Yeah. And so, um, like, for instance, everyone would probably be like, that's normal parent behavior. That's what you do. And it's like, okay, but what if I'm not the parent? What if I've never met this child and I'm just standing there? And now it's like in any other context for me to like put my hands on your child and pick them mm -hmm. up like that is super inappropriate. We all agree with that. But right. now, now I've prevented them from running into the street. And so I've saved them. And now I'm a hero and I'm praised and it's all great. Or... Um, you know, or at least that's recognized. But if, um, you know, it becomes like, that's an easy line. But now what if it's like I prevented them from like jumping in the water that's cold and they probably wouldn't have died. And so now it's kind of like some people will be like, oh, good job. You saved that child from falling in the water. And other mm -hmm. parents might be like, why didn't you let my child learn about their environment? And now you prevented them from doing that. And you've assaulted my child. Like, right. you know, it's, it becomes, um, you know, and I, I and and that's like a a pretty soft, benign, like you know, experiment. But I think that that's the same problem with governance, right? Because governance is about, um, at least in our country, 
the reason we have, I think the reason we have such a divide between like people who live in cities versus people who live in more rural areas, especially the reason that the thinking around governance is so divided is because when you live in a rural area, your personal space is so much greater. Mm -hmm. Um, what you can rec, what you can recognize and assume as available to you and personal space, um, is massive and your conflicts, your conflicts with other human beings are different. And so when you live in a city, you're on top of each other and your personal space is much more like physically tighter and the ways that you have conflicts with other people are much more con like, um, well, in many ways convoluted, but much more complex. And so yeah. cities create laws to, um, you know, in theory, in, in, in good governance, we're creating laws that allow for, attempted to allow for like fair disputes. And people want to live in the city that has a good resolution process, right? Like you want you want to live in a city where it's like, oh, I know I can park my car on the street or I know I know that I can have a certain amount of personal space and my expectation about how that space is respected is pretty constant. Like I can kind of count on that. And laws help with that, right? I mean, they're not perfect. Like we don't need to get into the, you know, disparity between the rich and the poor or even women or minorities or, you know, any of those things. But um, in theory, you have that. So that dis that that difference in mindset, even from like people who live in a rural environment who, um, you know, for instance, like farmers, like they have a massive field or fields and they have that's all their their kind of personal space. Whereas you live in a tiny efficiency apartment in New York city and your, you know, your personal space is much smaller and you share your walls with your neighbors. And so there's your, like there's a regulation in place. Like there are laws that dictate like how much noise you can make and at what time and all of those things, which make no sense to somebody who lives on a farm. And it's like, fuck you. I can make like, I can fire all my machine guns at two in the morning because there's no one else around. I'm the only one who's affected right. by it. But and so that's where there's some conflict and like there's some misunderstanding, I think, right? Because people who live in an apartment don't understand that they would even have that. And then people who live in that space, like don't understand why you would want to have those regulations in the first place. It makes no sense. Um, so anyway, I, I forget where I was going with this. I think I got off on a little bit of a, a tangent, but. Um, um. <clears throat> I, I mean, I'm with you so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, um. Uh, oh, so like science uh, communication and um, and like this living in this illusion and then governance. And so the whole thing about um, my example of the child and, you know, your interaction with the child mm -hmm. and what's what's reasonable changes heavily in context. Right. And yeah. so um, self like this is the problem of self-governance. Right. Is to have um, it's like you want to put things in place that allows people to live together. Yes, because yes. So, but it can't be like, it can't just be, um, and it can't be homogenous because we live in a world that's different. Like everyone has their own experience, like going back to the problem of like transhumanism or the idea of like, even before transhumanism, the idea that everybody has their individual experience. And so then, you know, it's like you have cultures like China and admittedly, I don't know that much about it, but my experience and my understanding is that um, the Chinese have a very different social experience. Like their, their idea of individualism is very different than ours. Um, 
And so their society is different, right? Their laws are different. The way that they operate is very different than like in the U S where it's like individual first, um, unless you're poor, in which case like the rich white guy first and then everybody else. But that's a separate issue. Um, I think what I'm trying to get at is like the idea of governance. It's like what, you know, it's, it's hard to have a really mutable governance and it's hard to have a democratic governance because everybody's idea is different. And yet we're asking every single individual to vote on what's going to be generically applicable to everyone. Like, I mean, that's, that's like a, you're failing before you even start. I mean, yeah. What you're, what you're describing to me is like, if, if you seek to, if you're trying to solve livability problems with large groups of people, the less specific you get, the more people you'll cover and the worst job of solving the problem you'll do. Right, right. And so then, you know, that makes me think of things like, well, we need smaller government, right? Which has been like the battle cry of Republicans forever. But what they fail to talk about is the quality and the content of the government that they would have. Right. And it's really easy to have a super small government when the only people it serves are fucking white guys, which is what we've been dealing with for a really long time. And why the let's go back to when things used to be good is so appealing to a certain percentage of people here. And so if you have small enough government that it basically breaks down into like teeny tiny self-governing, very agile groups of people, you're kind of talking about anarcho-syndicalism, which I find very attractive, but which in a population of 400 million people can be very tricky, I think, to implement. So uh, I don't know. Like, I don't... And that's where I think... um, I don't think... Like, I think part of... When I think about small government, I think about more like um, honoring local government which is yeah. to say that that I like I think as a nation I want to have a strong government. I want to have a government that um can meet external threats and external and not and I don't mean like in a like let's go to war kind of way. Like a real obvious one is like external propaganda and other like there are other countries right now that are led by dictators who are more than happy to um you know gain power by conquest. And so I think that um, I think it's important to have to have the ability to come together and operate as a strong nation is important. I think that um, from the point of view of living as like individuals that you want to have like individuals should be able to be, you know, to live under their small localized government, right. Um, and be able to kind of operate that way. Like there's, it's like you said, like it's an intractable problem. Um, it's a, it's a wicked problem. It's a wicked problem. We've got a wicked problem over here. Folks. Yeah. That's the <laughs> one more, one more inside joke, but, um, wicked, it's a wicked problem. Um, it's yeah. A loyalty test. This is a secret loyalty test. Secret you don't know what a wicked problem is. You don't like us enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go back, go back and listen to one of the other hundred episodes and figure out what it is. Um, do your research. Do your research. And then uh, write a paper on it, and then somebody else falsify that. Uh huh. Exactly. Anyway, I, I mean, we're not going to solve government here in one day, in one fell swoop. I don't imagine. But um, and also, oh can you yeah. imagine if we did? Everybody would want to talk to us. I don't want right? to have any of those. It'd be like I, I always think of like. Uh, I haven't watched this movie in a long time, but every time things like that come up, I think of like the um, 
Bill and Ted where it's yeah. like it's like it's it's this one moment where they did this thing that like changed everything right mm-hmm. they like made this one song or something they're, they're wild stallions or something and they just sing the like wild stallions rule yeah and they have that um their song about like basically world peace and be kind be cool to each other and um and i just I think, think about like be excellent to each other it'd be excellent yes thank you be excellent to each other and i think that um it's funny because it's like whenever you say like wouldn't it be funny if like we just like wrote this thing like made this podcast and now this one episode like changed everything um it's kind of like that right like it's just sort of like you know yeah like maybe our our ending on a tip living for living well in hell just like goes viral and everybody's like hey it changed my mind we're all great now everything's gonna be great government comes together everything works um you Nobody know. better ask me to do a TED talk. <laughs> the answer is no. I think no. I think I think it would be great if someone asked you to do a TED talk because then you could say no. No, forget <laughs> it. Oh man, uh, I, I had a thought and I didn't want to interrupt you. And then I oh, I remember what it was. Yeah. So when you mentioned like you know a lot of people are just sitting and looking at the internet in front of them which like i the internet's great i'm not gonna bag on the internet like you know indoor plumbing is great i wish toilets didn't use so much water and i wish it wasn't fresh water that they use there's ways around that i'm working on it sure in my own house but like the um the fact is like i'm not gonna forsake all of indoor plumbing because i don't like the way that toilets are designed so the internet is great it's just we need to have a lot more thought and a lot more ethics built into our practice of how to use it. And so anyway, we're talking about the internet and how most people are spending a lot of their time on it and living in it and doing all the things with it and how a lot of people don't just sit and watch things. And I saw the blue jay come in and out of its nest a few more times across the street as I was listening to you. And I also noticed that there are a couple of transformer boxes on a light pole um, across the street on the corner of the alleyway. And I was sitting here in my second story witch tower room looking at those transformer boxes and thinking, I need an invention. I need to make an invention Uh that's basically like a bumper sticker sized, like a vinyl sticker Uh on some kind of like a, 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 like a backing that you peel off just like any sticker. And then like a fancy, suction cup arrow that goes on the front of the sticker that you can use a bow and arrow to shoot stickers onto high up objects like transformer boxes oh nice more fun to look at from a distance gotcha so a sticker gun like a sticker like but it's got to be like a suction cup no no, i mean i understand like cartoonish Oh, I see. I got you. I got you. Okay. Right. Like it, it can't just, part of it is the process of doing it. It can't just be like, you know, you push a button and a sticker appears. It's like, it's about shooting the arrow that then plants the sticker. Yeah, I got you. Yes. And then, you know, the suction cup like smushes onto the surface to press the sticker onto it. Uh And then it's, maybe it's on a string so you can pull the suction cup back and reel it back in. After it's stuck onto the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is fantastic. So, I love this. <laughs> sometimes the real world is more fun than the internet, actually. Yeah. I mean, the internet's great. Like, so I did something hilarious that I didn't realize until after I had done it. It was like, f- like future Meg 
became present Meg and present Meg found a breadcrumb trail back through the last few nights of my life where I was kept awake by a cat. And we talked about that on the silverware episode. But what I didn't notice is that about a week prior to the most recent cat keeping us episode, there were other cat keeping us up episodes. And I was similarly uh, an insomniac during those events as well. And I got this great hot shit idea in my mind to get, uh, I, like I was really tired of plastic cling wrap because yeah. most of it doesn't work very well. And you can buy the stretch tight stuff, which is great. And I was kind of like hyped up about the possibility of this at Costco the other day. Uh-huh. And I, I refrained from getting any. And then I was like, what's even better than that stupid disposable plastic are those like, those like um, stretchy silicone lids that you can put on things because the oh, only yeah. thing I ever use that plastic for in the first place is to put plastic over a bowl that and I yeah. have a lot of glass bowls because I don't like using plastic. So anyway, I was like, you know what I should do? You know what I should you go should on, do? You know what you should do is you should go on eBay at like six in the in the morning or three in the morning or somewhere between two and the four in the morning uh-huh. when your cat is like harassing the crap out of you for several nights in a row. And each of those nights, you should follow the same thought process without any awareness of the fact that you've followed this thought process before. Uh-huh. And the end of the result of this will be on both Amazon and and eBay, you will order sets of stretchable silicone reusable lids for your <laughs> bowls and jars and glasses and cups and all sorts of things. Uh-huh. And in one instance, you will get so excited about this that you will buy a multi-pack. And so what will show up at your house is enough lids for like maybe six people actually in reality <laughs> and not just like yourself in your uh-huh. kitchen. Right. So I've found one person to give these. They are inexpensive. Yeah. And if they reduce waste, I'm more than happy to share them. So that's fine. That's but hilarious. Like, right. I, I must have had this thought like three or four different times <laughs> and followed through on it each time. And this is why I have the the like rule for myself. No buying things on impulse because you've already had this impulse dingbat. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Your shit is on its way. <laughs> like that's fantastic. That's yeah. So, funny. so, do you need any pot lids? Because I can mail some to you. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say no. Like, I have, I use, um, I have some like old stainless steel mixing bowls that have plastic lids for them that I t- typically use for that. And yep. then I have some lids for um, some glasses I bought at uh, Costco many years ago. And so those are kind of usually the containers my go-to. And I usually try to keep a couple of yogurt containers. I have plastic wrap because some like when you need it, it's the only thing that will work, but, but it's so rare. It's so rare. I probably have had that plastic wrap for a good five or six years now. Um, like I was, you know, it's, it's not, and oftentimes there's other solutions, so it's just not really something I use very often. But anyway. We've moved across the country with our plastic wrap. I just oh, ran out. me too. Like yeah, me this- too. In fact, I think the plastic wrap I have might actually be from when I moved from New Jersey. So that wow. was many years ago. Um, okay. I think we've kind of pushed the envelope on this one. This has like been an hour and a half, so... Um, hey, great job, us. Yeah, good job, us. Uh, I, do you have a tip for living well in hell? Pay attention to the real world around you and get like super curious about it. Yeah, it's actually really rewarding. There's a ton of things to learn about in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really really amazing. And that's one of the things. One of the reasons I I think I brought up the um, 
science communicators are really fun. Like, uh, you know, Bill Nye is an amazing person. Um, but uh, this woman, Emily Grassley, she's super great. Uh, her videos are super fascinating and really entertaining. Um, mm -hmm. Great for all ages, um, especially like, you know, if you have kids or like some younger people you're trying to kind of entertain for a bit, her videos are super, super cool. Um, and then uh, Diana Cohen, her physics, her physics girl videos are fantastic. Yeah. Um, both of those, I can't, you know, I can't say more about how great they are. Like, they're just, I can't shut up about it. They're so fucking great. Um, yeah, they are great. There's a, there's, here, I have a little thing I should throw out there too. Yes. There's this company called Fold Scope, as in like a foldable microscope. Yes. And the Fold Scope team, like m a million and a half years ago, created this little, like flat pack microscope that you can pop out of a, its plastic and like assemble it into yes. a little thing and you can use it to like look at stuff out in the world on the fly like you can keep it in your pocket and it's a little microscope that you can carry around with you and fast forward to many years later after their initial kickstarter they make these gorgeous little kits now of these hyper portable microscopes that are very inexpensive. So you don't have to worry about it being a precious, precious object that you can never actually use. Yeah. Um, and they make really good gifts and stuff like that. And for people who are just like all of us are right now stuck in one place, if you can't make the world around you bigger, you can look through a microscope to make the tiny world around you more fun to hang out in. And it's, there's a lot going on at that scale. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's really important to understand that we're like somewhere in the vast middle between very, very large, incomprehensibly large things and tiny, tiny, almost incomprehensibly small things like just and those things just become each other at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's it's pretty cool. That's a really cool. So world. fold scopes are great if you need a present for somebody who's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in boredom. All right, so just to do a little bit of self-promotion, um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email our executive assistant, Dana, D-A-N-A, at fcbm.io. You can also hit us up on Twitter, which I think is at fcbm underscore io. Um, either of those are great. You can just go to our website, fcbm.io, and you'll find email addresses and ways to get a hold of us. Um, also see all of our shows there if you're you know you can subscribe directly to our feed if you don't want to use like another kind of aggregator um or whatever you call those like news feed server people like itunes and stitcher and what's it called whatever. spotify whatever um yeah you can just go right to our feed and you can feed it into any kind of like rsss rss feed rsss rsss anyway um yeah thanks for listening and we would love to hear from you and uh yeah okay that's it oh wash your hands wear a mask yeah wear a mask don't be a jerk don't be a jerk yeah